Yo, what is going on, baby? Nathan Kennedy, the New Money Podcast, episode 44, how to win at life using money as a tool with Barry Hahn. How y'all doing, man? As usual, I'm hoping you guys are having a fantastic weekend. Ask me any questions you guys have on the show today on Instagram or my personal Instagram. Just message me. Let's chat. Let's talk. I love to answer your questions on the New Money Mailbag, which is what I usually do at the end of the show. Also, if you do enjoy the episode that we got coming to you guys, please, 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 please leave a review. I would really appreciate it. It helps the show get more reach, get out there, etc. So uh, if you could let leave a review doesn't have to be five stars shit it can be one star man i like i just want to hear from you guys so thank you for any input you guys have towards the show so today i have another interview and this interview really really means a lot to me my guest today is somebody who i've mentioned on the show quite a bit because they've taught me quite a bit and his name's barry hahn he is a professor at the university of western ontario which is where i graduated from and he actually taught the personal finance course that i always talk about uh, that i took in school and i have learned an immense amount from this man like i have a pretty good relationship with him and I sometimes ask him questions just general sort of money questions and you know I really wanted to have him on the show because I feel like he's a very insightful guy who could share a lot of stuff that would be helpful to all of us and I really just wanted to learn more about his past his story and any sort of advice that he would have for me and you guys etc so I'm very 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 excited to have him on the show I think we had a fantastic discussion that I know you guys are going to love so Sit back, relax, I don't know, kick it into cruise control if you're driving, and here is Barry Hahn. Let's dive on into it, baby. Barry, what's going on? Nathan, not much. Thank you so much for having me. This is a pleasure. I know we had a hard time getting your schedules lined up, so I'm really glad we could do this. No, no, all good, all good. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I've been trying to get you on for for some time. I've honestly look forward to, to having you on and just chatting and um, you know I've learned so much from you and so just to kind of just like chat about some stuff and, and learn more about you is like I'm really very excited so I mean how, how are you keeping up with everything like it's obviously an insane time that goes without saying uh, so I mean what's going on yeah it's uh, it, things are going well you know it's one day at a time for everybody everybody is struggling right we're struggling administration struggling and students are struggling too and I think we just have to remember we're all in this together uh, things are never going to be perfect. There's glitches, there's issues, there's a lot of stress, but I think we just need to, uh, you know, sort of link arms and get through it. And we will. And and that's, uh, you know, us and the students too. We can't look at it so much as a teacher-student relationship now. We have to look at this as in, we're in crazy times. We're trying to, you know, give the best education we possibly can, and we need to do this together. And I think it's going well, to be honest. I'm um, super impressed with the students' uh, resiliency, and, and they're making our life easy because they, you know, they're really trying hard and doing their best. So it's appreciated. Absolutely. You know, I think it's been a few months now, just kind of since this all started. So I feel like a lot of them are kind of like, okay, this is what it is. I'm still going to go ahead and try to like build my life. Um, which yep. is, which is crazy. Cause when, when, when this first happened, it was the end, like I, I graduated, um, last spring and, like, I mean, nobody knew what was going on. Teachers, students, nobody in the world knew what was going on. So I feel like, they're kind of everybody's kind of climatized i mean it's still crazy yeah second wave all that but you know it it seems like that makes a lot of sense that they're kind of like okay like this is what it is now but yeah uh i'm I'm glad to hear you're doing well i'm glad to hear everything's going good so uh let's just dive into it um so guys barry is a professor that i used to have in university uh and personal finance course i actually i think i first year a business course first year. I don't even know if you would remember that. I was just like in the back lecture hall. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And, and I mean, I've learned so much from the guy, so I really wanted to have him here on the show. Uh, so Barry, take me through your backstory upbringing, like, you know, how you found yourself to teaching personal finance and, and business in school. Just kind of walk me through it. Yeah, you bet. And I'll try to keep this short, which isn't my forte, but we'll see. But before I do, I just want to tell you, it was an absolute pleasure having you in class. And you're the kind of guy that makes teaching fun. You're literally the kind of student that makes coming to class and doing what we do enjoyable. So it was an absolute pleasure having you in class and it's unfortunate that uh, you're gone and I can't have you again. So just wanted to say that. And I also wanted to say, 
you know, this summer I really lost track of my own podcast. I'm a pretty faithful podcast listener. I have a library that I listen to on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, by the end of August, um, I, I taught all summer. So it was crazy when, when life finally calmed down, I opened up, um, Spotify and I thought I got to get back, you know, and, and catch up on all my podcasts. And I was searching for personal finance podcasts and, and there you were and this huge library of shows. And I'm like, this is awesome because you said you were going to do it and man, you were doing it. I was really excited to see that. So, um, it's cool that you reached out and connected. So that, that was exciting for me. Thank you so much. No problem. My pleasure. So for me, I, uh, grew up, you know, in a, uh, pretty humble household, financially speaking. Um, there was good years and bad years and I never, you know, I don't want to oversell it. We, uh, we always had food and we always had clothes and we always had four walls. Um, the quality of those things, you know, depended on how well my parents were doing. And, you know, I grew up with a lot of tur- turmoil, um, between my mom and my dad, they were uh, married seven times, uh, lots of moving, lots of step parents, lots of, you know, things like that. And, um, there's a bunch of other things that nobody wants to hear about in my family. It just didn't make it like, you know, super normal, right? A lot of, a lot of stress, a lot of whatever. So nobody in my family had gone to university. Uh, nobody had a quote unquote career. They just sort of had jobs, which is great. Uh, honest work is an important thing. Um, but from a financial standpoint, there wasn't a ton of stability. And because of that, I, I sort of saw two things. I saw the stress that having a lack of financial stability put on our household and, and on my parents' marriages, and it was awful. And I also didn't have anybody to teach me about money because quite frankly, um, you know, they were doing the best they could, but they certainly, I would say, were just getting by. So they, they didn't really have aspirations for things like investing and starting businesses and stuff like this. So there was nobody there to teach and mentor me because these weren't things that existed in my family. So growing up, I, I came to the conclusion that one thing I definitely wanted to do was uh, go to university, and get a career, and I'll come back to that in a little bit. Um, I'm sure at some point tonight. And and I really wanted to make sure that money was never going to be a problem because I, I just saw what it did, right? And it was it was awful. Mm-hmm. So when I was in high school, I was pretty good at accounting, and I uh, you know was trying like everybody to think what am I going to do in university? And I thought I guess I'll go do accounting uh, because you know I'm good at it. So hopefully that means it'll it'll lead somewhere. And I was in uh, Kitchener at the time when I went to high school and University of Waterloo was an amazing accounting program. So I was really lucky to get in there, like really lucky. And the reason I say that is my economics teacher gave me a mark I didn't deserve, like he inflated my mark. <laughs> um, and, and I squeaked in the, the average to get into university uh, for my the accounting program that year was 87. And I had an 87.14 average only because this guy gave me a mark I didn't deserve. And uh, when he retired, I wrote him a thank you note. I said, I don't think you know how much you changed my life. <laughs> because if you hadn't done that, who knows, right? Anyway, I, I thought, you know, being an accountant sounds like a good job. There's probably a paycheck at the end of it and then job security throughout my life. But I also thought accountants sort of deal with people and their money all the time. And I thought if there's ever a way that I could learn how to be successful financially, it's got to be through accounting, right? That was my, my, my thought. So I go to the University of Waterloo, I do a four-year uh, undergrad, I do my master's program, and my friend, I learned uh, nothing about personal finance, not a thing, not a thing. Not, we didn't have one minute of one class in five years that taught us anything. I could do tax returns, I could do balance sheets and all that kind of jazz, uh, but there was no discussion about wealth whatsoever, nothing. And then I thought, well, that's okay. When I go start working, I'll bump up against people that have money, business owners, stuff like that, and I'll get some education there. Uh, also not true. I mean, there was a little bit you could observe, right? Seeing people make good decisions and bad. But uh, I was stunned at how little these topics are discussed. At least that was back then. I'm old, right? And now I think with your generation, you guys are talking about a lot more. Social media is really helping proliferate this. Things like you starting a podcast. So I think it's out there more. Um, anyway, so fast forward. Um, I come out of school with debt a lot. Um, I think I had like 40000 in OSAP, something like that. I had this, you know, crummy little car that was so ugly. People looked at me funny when I drove down the road. And um, my budgeting process back then, because I was finally, you know, getting a paycheck, my first real job, was uh, pay my bills, spend every other dollar I had at the bars on Richmond Street every weekend, and and wait for another paycheck. It was pathetic. So I was, you know, I wasn't budgeting, I wasn't investing, I wasn't doing anything. I was just uh, scraping by. So I did that for a few years, and I thought. 
man, life is going to be long. I had this ambition for getting my money right, and I was doing everything backwards. You don't see them as much anymore, but back then there was these uh, infomercials on TV for how to buy real estate, mm-hmm. right? And I saw one, and I thought, oh, that sounds good. I'll go buy a bunch of real estate. I didn't know how I was going to do that exactly because I didn't have any money, but I thought, I'll go buy a bunch of real estate, own some rental properties, and, and then I'll get some money. And, uh, and I did. I, I went to one of these seminars. I paid like a few thousand bucks on a credit card to go. And the course was ridiculous, but whatever, it gave me the motivation to do it. And I went out and I started buying rental properties for no money down, which very unfortunately can't do anymore. The mortgage rules were much looser back then. And uh, at one point I had 10 and a half rental properties and a lot of them were student rentals. And for the first time in my life, I was making some serious bucks. Uh, It was exciting. Still wasn't always doing the best thing with that money, you know, on a monthly basis, but at least I paid my debt off. I got a better car. Like I was starting to put a little money in the bank. And, you know, I had some side hustles going, so I was working, you know, weekends and holidays and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So the cash flow was a whole lot better, and I thought, this is great. But I still couldn't understand how to turn that cash flow into wealth. I didn't know how to turn it into security. I didn't know how to make it grow. I didn't know how to create a foundation for future, you know, success and security. Mm-hmm. So now I'm in my 30s. Uh, still haven't figured it out. I mean, the money's good, and, and life's comfortable, and and that was nice. But I was thinking... How do I get from being in my 30s to being in my 60s and actually having some bloody money, right? And I thought, if I have to go earn every single dollar, or even my rental properties, this is going to take forever. And don't get me wrong, huge fan of rental properties. So everybody that's listening, especially young people, um, don't take that as, as me not liking them. They're awesome, right? Definitely encourage people to, to look into those and investigate. So anyway, um, I've been teaching a lot uh, at this point in my career, but I was teaching accounting. I wasn't teaching personal finance. And... In my mid-30s, I was right around 35, I met my now wife, and uh, she was awesome. I was getting pretty old, and I thought, you know, i got to get married and got to have kids if I'm going to do that. And and I was so lucky to meet her because she's just, like, better than me in every possible way. And I thought, this is great. You know, it's all coming together. So, you know, we made plans to get married, and I thought, if there is a time in my life that I finally have to answer the question, what the hell do I do, uh, financially speaking, it's now. And it's not that I was being chauvinist and thought that I had to like rule family, but I thought I'm going to have a family now. Like I got to get responsible, right? So um, I worked with a guy. Uh, we're still great friends. We don't work together anymore. I named Jeff, and uh, he's got so much money. His wife's a doctor. You know, they're just they're doing great. And and he was two offices down from me, two doors down from me. And I walked down one day and I said, "What do you guys do with all your money?" And, and he looked at me and he goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, I know you have a lot, but what do you do with it? Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, I invest like this. And he started saying things to me in words I didn't know. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, go read this book. So I read The Millionaire Teacher by Andrew Hallman. Mm-hmm. And that book, uh, you know, so easy to read. It's so simple. Blew my freaking mind. It just blew my mind. I thought, this is it? This is all I have to do? Seriously? And I'm like, why wasn't there a course on this in the university? This is ridiculous, right? This is so simple. So that book led to like, you know, a million more books that led to the podcast, led to everything else. And then um, a few years later, I was so into it. I was just jacked. I was like talking to people and I was coaching people if they wanted. Um, I, I decided to leave the career I was in with the government and come teach at Western full time. And when I was doing that, they asked me, what do you want to teach? And I said, I notice you have this personal finance class. I really, really want to teach that. And they said, sure. And I've been super fortunate to be teaching it ever since. And um, I just took it. I blew it up. I created it exactly the way I wanted. And, and I've been doing it ever since. So that was a super long answer. But but there you go. That's how I got to where I am now. So For sure. No, no, no. That's, that's great. That's great. So I guess kind of diving back in, you know, when you were you know, acquiring all these properties. And for example, like I, I want to start buying properties for myself and start uh, accumulating that. And to a lot of people, myself included, that, that is a wealth builder. You'd assume yep. that somebody that's acquiring properties, you know, running a business because it's 100% of business, um, has their money together. So, uh, kind of walk me through why you felt like that wasn't the case that yes, you had these, you know, you were growing your uh, portfolio, but you were just kind of like, Hey, I still haven't like tackled this yet. Yeah, thanks. Great question. So, you know, at the peak, when I had the 10 and a half properties going, um, the month of cash flow was, was awesome. Uh, no word of lie. And, you know, the mortgage is being paid down. The properties are going up in value, um, which are all the, the amazing benefits of rental property, for sure. But I looked at it and I thought, it is going to take me decades to get to the point where all of this turns into like massive success. Because 
it's hard to tap into the value of your property until you sell it. Well, I didn't want to sell it. I wanted to hold it for decades, right? Um, and, the, and the rental income is nice on a monthly basis for sure. But when you do the math, you're like, okay, that's a lot of months before I get to a million dollars. Like, how long is this going to take? So it was more that realization. And the piece that I was missing at that point, which, you know, if I could go back now and do things differently, um, what I had been doing was building up cash flow, buying another property, building up cash flow, buying another property, which is an amazing plan. And um, there's so many people out there that have done that. And they now own like 40, 50, 60, 70 properties. And that's all they do, right? For some reason, I had it in my mind that, I really wanted to keep working full time. 10 and a half was stretching me to the limit. And I thought, okay, well, I can't add any more because I just can't uh, handle it. So now with the extra cash flow I had coming in, because I wasn't going to add the 11th property and the 12th and the 20th, I didn't know what to do with it. And I thought, well, if I just pile it up in the bank again, you know, what, what, what good is that doing me? It's not growing. And the piece I was missing at that point was the investing piece. Had I been more knowledgeable, uh, about how easy it is to invest these days, I would have been taking that money as aggressively as possible and slamming it into the markets and, you know, be retiring shortly. Uh, but but I didn't do that and I didn't know what to do. So, um, you know, I probably spent it. Honestly, I was living a pretty good lifestyle. I was taking trips I didn't need to take and buying presents for girlfriends I didn't need to buy, <laughs> things like this. Um, so I had my money working for me to a point and then it stopped and I didn't know how to keep making it work for me. And that was the piece that I was missing. So for sure, for sure. Yeah. And so did you just slowly start to sell them off or did you do like one clean year where you just sold off everything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I sold them off because, um, just before I met my wife, I, uh, I wanted to buy like a, like a home, right. Mm -hmm. not, not just like a place to live, but a home. And I was on my own. I'm single. I just had my income and I really wanted to scrape up some money for a good down payment. So I wasn't cash poor buying this house, uh, the one that I'm sitting in now. Um, and I was also exhausted. I'd been doing the rental properties for, for years. I'd been teaching part-time all over the place for years. And I was just so tired. I thought, I'm just going to stop doing this and I'll, I'll find something else to do. You know, every now and again, I think to myself, how do I feel about that decision? Do I still wish that I had those properties? How different would life be today? And, you know, it's hard to say in hindsight's 2020. And some days I think, man, it'd be super cool if I still had these places because I'd have, you know, this much more wealth and this much more cash flow. But it is what it is. So to answer your question, I started selling them off uh, slowly. I didn't do them all in one foul swoop, but I, I don't think it took long. I think maybe, I don't know, uh, less than two years for sure, maybe 18 months. I had them all sold. Yeah. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what were the, I mean, we, you know, we talked about the the sort of philosophy of, of having those assets, but like not actually feeling like you, you, you're like on top of it and your wealth's growing at a, at a decent rate of return. Right. What were some challenges within <clears throat> real estate investing? Like the actual, like day-to-day -day stuff, like how, what, like, how did you even manage 10 pro like that's insane. Like, and working all yeah. the time, like, was there a management process? Was it kind of just, you know, flying by the seat of your pants? Like, I don't know. <laughs> How was it? Right. Yeah. Um, the management process was everybody had my cell number and they just called when there was a problem. I didn't use property managers. Um, you know, I know I, I talk to a lot of students now um, that are really keen to get into rental properties, which is awesome. And I encourage that, um, you know, they need to educate themselves, go in with their eyes wide open, be prudent. But that aside, I, I encourage it big time. It's a great idea. And a lot of them say, you know, I'm going to get a management company. I'm going to get a management company. And I, you know, assume, and maybe I'm wrong, but it, it feels to me like when they say that, they assume all their problems are solved. You know, I'm going to buy this property. I'm going to go work my career. And these other people are going to take care of all this stuff for me. And, you know, everything's going to be good. So the problem is usually you have to pay them at least one month's uh, rent a year. That's their fee, usually something like that. So there's, there's like a, a dip in your return right there. However, um, you know, they will do some service for you, but what people need to remember about using these management companies is um, anyone can start one. People are starting them all the time. They're closing all the time because it's sort of one of those things that, you know, if people are sort of drifting in life and they don't know what to do. They're like, ah, I know I'll start up a management company and wham, they put up a sign and start handing up business cards and suddenly they're property managers, but that doesn't mean they're any good at it. Right. And if you um, can't find one that's experienced that you can trust is smart and it's going to make good decisions, you're just asking for even more trouble compounded on top of the troubles you're already going to have. Um, and you also have to remember the last point on that is uh, somebody else is going to spend your money 
a lot worse than you will. Yeah. So if your tenants called you and said, hey, man, I need this repair or whatever, you'd go over there and find a way to fix it properly and, and to a satisfaction of your tenants because you want to do right by your tenants. But you're going to do it in the most cost-effective way possible. Property management companies don't care. They're going to send you the bill. So they're going to go do whatever is easiest. It doesn't matter what the cost is. So people need to be cognizant of that when Absolutely. thinking about those. Yeah. So I was, I was just, you know, I, I'd fly over at, at lunch breaks, uh, weekends, evenings, stuff like this in the summer when the students, uh, went out, um, went home, I would go in there and I would usually repaint the entire buildings from top to bottom, every single room, every single time we'd be laying new floors, ripping out old carpet you know, buying used appliances because they just get destroyed because, you know, students can be a little little hard on properties sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when I first started, I could barely turn a screwdriver by the end of it. I could, like, put a whole toilet together blindfolded. I knew how to fix appliances. I could do some electrical work, some plumbing work. So, um, you, you know, you get good at it over time because if you're going to pay somebody to do it all the time, you're paying retail and it's going to cost, right? So the biggest challenge with rental properties and people will find this out. It, it like um, if you're going to become a landlord, I don't care if you own one little unit or like a hundred, you will find out at some point how unbelievably skewed all the laws are in favor of the tenant. Landlords have almost no power whatsoever. They have some, but it's very very limited. And if tenants know how to work the system, they can make your life an absolute living hell, an absolute living hell. So right now we have friends that have some rental properties in Toronto and their tenants uh, are terrible tenants. Uh, they're terrible people, you know, they're taking full advantage of not paying rent. They're being loud. They're bugging all the neighbors. Like they're just the nightmare tenant of all nightmare tenants. The process to get that person evicted is so mind bogglingly difficult. If it, it, people don't believe me, people are probably listening right now and going, yeah, yeah, yeah. People don't pay rent and can get evicted. Yeah, they can. But the process to actually get that done can take months and months and months. And it could be hearings and they're going to lie. And the whole time they're not paying you rent and you have to pay all the bills. And right now, during COVID, not that we expect this to happen regularly, they're not evicting anybody, right? So there's people squatting all over the place, paying nothing, and you're on the hook. So I had three bad instances I can remember of tenants being nightmare tenants trashing places, not paying rent, having to evict them. Like it was terrible three times in 10 years. Uh, a lot of my tenants were great though, but those times are going to come. They're hard on your emotions because you know, most people are caring people and don't want to be total jerks, but then you're being treated like a jerk. It's awful, man. It's just mm -hmm. the worst. So the one biggest mistake that I made, um, when I have my rental properties was not setting cash aside to cover the times when the tenants stopped paying rent. Right? right. Whether, you know, they lost their job realistically and, and they're giving you sob stories about they can't pay their rent. And let's be honest, a lot of people live paycheck to paycheck. And if a tenant loses their job, they probably can't pay their rent. Right. So these times are going to come and you, you need to have cash set aside. So as I was talking about earlier, um, when I was building up the properties, every dollar I got went into the next property. I was putting nothing aside. So when these bad time came, oh man, it was like the house of cards was starting to teeter. <laughs> and um, I remember once, uh, no word of a lie, I had two different properties where people stopped paying rent and it was getting bad financially. I, um, uh, it's probably way too much information your listeners don't want to know, but there was a period of time I remember I didn't sleep for three nights straight. I was stressed because the whole thing was going to collapse, man. It was going to blow up in my face. And it was because I was an idiot and I didn't have, you know, what we would call an emergency fund for my rental properties. Right. So definitely, definitely have to put money away for that and money away for unexpected repairs. Like, you know, uh, a tree falls in the roof or the foundation's broken and you didn't know it. Right. And house repairs can cost insane amounts of money. So you've got to have some money set aside for that. If 100%. you're going to do this. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's interesting too, because when you, whenever you hear that no money down, low money down, like even still now there, there's some talk of that and you know, the possibilities and things like that. But I think that gets confused with not having any reserves. It's like, right. you don't have to have reserves. You can just buy a property and then everything will be fine. It's like, I, I haven't bought a property yet, but I am well aware that's not how it works. Like you can, you know, be a little high in leverage, like, you know, a, you know, come in with a little, uh, low money down but you better have something like yeah. something, you know what I mean? To, to kind of take care of that on the back end. So take, for example, a lot of kids, 
uh, that are listening to this. Kids, I'm a kid. Wow, that's that's all right. I'm old. I got a minute. It's cool. <laughs> Young adults are, are listening to this, and maybe they live in Toronto or Burlington or Oakville. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of give me your perspective. You talked about property management. I know we're talking a lot about real estate. We'll pivot soon. Oh, that's cool. No, that's um, good. Talk to me about investing at a distance because for realistically, there aren't a lot of young adults that can put down a hundred grand, yeah. um, you know, to get a $500,000 property or something like that. Uh, and, and they might look at markets like Brantford, Windsor, you know, Chatham, I don't know, some yep. smaller markets and just yep. get in and, and, hire that management property or management company. So uh, kind of walk me through what what do you think of all of that? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, listen, man, people living in the GTA or Vancouver, I I don't even know how they survive. Honestly, the price of real estate is so bonkers. Um, You know, my wife and I make good money and we we talk like if we moved to Toronto, we would be just poor. Like we would feel so poor just trying to get into the real estate market and we're doing well. And so I don't know, man, I, I feel your question so strongly and I am so sympathetic, so sympathetic to the generation coming in now that wants to be homeowners. You know, there's a few ways you can tackle this. Um, They all have their drawbacks. And I guess you sort of have to pick the one that you think has the drawback that's most manageable to you. So um, going to a cheaper market, especially ones that have university and colleges, because, you know, student rentals make the best money for sure. And using a property management company can absolutely be a viable solution. And I would look at it this way. I know I was just trashing them a few minutes ago, but if your decision is literally get a property in a city where I can afford it and use property managers and I'll come down on weekends or whatever when I need to, when I like have to, or don't have a property at all, well, that's a pretty easy decision, I think. You know, that I think you gotta suck up the money you're gonna pay them, cross your bloody fingers that you get a good management company and go for it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, for sure. So that, that's one option. And uh, you know, I don't have any problem with that at all. Um, one way you can make your life easy too, from a management standpoint is to look at condos. Um, most of my properties were condos because I couldn't go shovel 10 driveways when it snowed. Um, so condos really made my life simple, even though you have to pay condo fees, you know, that obviously sucks. But, um, when, you know, unless you can mow 10 lawns and shovel 10 driveways and do all that kind of stuff, condos have a lot of advantages that way. So something to think about the other thing you could do. Um, I'm going to sort of go from best option, maybe the worst option. So maybe the second, second best option would be to look at family. If you're fortunate enough to be in a position where there's somebody in your family who is willing to sponsor you financially, then go for it. Um, we're not all in this position. I sure as heck wasn't, but you know, I, when I teach personal finance, there's people in the class that are like me, um, man, when I was in university, I was so poor. Like, I was so poor. It was insane. I had to go on welfare one month in university. That's how broke it was. Versus there were some people, um, you know, in my class at any given time that have $300,000 in their bank because the parents just gave it to them, right? So there's a wide range. So if you happen to be lucky enough and, you know, your mom and dad can help you or you got a rich uncle or your grandma loves you to death and they're willing to sort of partner with you, um, great way to go. Um, we, we know, especially in the GTA and places like that, you know, they always talk about the wealth transfer coming down because who's got the wealth? The homeowners. Who are the homeowners? The old people. And it, yeah. it, they got to help your, your, you know, children out if they're going to get into the market. So if they're willing to do that, I think that's a, a great way to go. Honestly, as long as, you know, you get along with your parents and they trust you and stuff because money makes people weird, man. Money can ruin a relationship so fast. But if, if you've got a really strong family and you think it's a way to go, that would be a good option. Uh, the third one, uh, my least favorite because money's weird and it can just ruin lives is to partner up with friends. So I say I had 10 and a half properties and that half I had with a buddy of mine. Um, we're not buddies anymore, uh, having nothing to do with the real estate during the time we owned the property together. Uh, things were great. We had a good relationship. We had a you know common vision. We both worked really hard uh, and we were really fortunate, but um, you know, I've got some other good friends that have gotten into properties with people and literally had to go to court um, because the relationship got so soured and they couldn't disentangle themselves from the, from the business together. So, so that can be tough for sure. So I guess kind of transitioning, I don't really have a good segue, but, um, you know, you touched on a few, a few great points there, you know, what's your overall, you know, philosophy with money management for young adults? Um, you know, in your course, we, we talked about it a lot, how uh, there needs to be that sort of pivot from like, this is kind of lame and I'll figure out later to, 
you know, yeah. hey, like if you start now, like, man, you're going to be, you know, off to the races. Yeah. So so kind of just walk me through, you know, how, how you structure that when you talk to somebody who maybe isn't as inclined or, you know, whatever. What, what's your general sort of um, advice? Yeah, um, great question. So I'm going to tell you, and if anybody's still listening, if I haven't put them to sleep already, um, they're going to they're, they're going to <laughs> they're going to roll their eyes at what I'm about to say because you know when you get this kind of question, people want to hear go on Reddit, read Wall Street bets, and buy Tesla, right? Like they just want the magic answer, and <laughs> there isn't one, but they want it, right? So my answer is, uh, and it's the first lecture in my course. Uh, every single year, and I always say it's the most important lecture, period, is, uh, and I don't care if you're young or old like me or whatever, you have to be intentional with your money. That's it. Like, you have to pay attention, you have to care, and you have to set goals and make a plan. If you set goals and make a plan and say to yourself, listen, by the time I'm 30, I want a million bucks, or by the time I'm 30, I want 20 rental properties, or like, I don't care, right? Or by the time I'm 30, I want my debt paid off, I don't want to feel stressed financially and I want a new car, damn it. Like, I don't care what your goals are. If you set them and you're serious about them, then your mind goes to work on how do we get there, right? If I want 20 rental properties, uh, I don't have a clue how to do this. What am I going to do? And you're just going to start asking everybody under the sun and the world's going to open up and the path is going to find itself for you to get those 20 rental properties. But if you don't ever think about it and you don't set that goal, you're going to be like most people, which is 30, uh, very little money in the bank, credit card debt, you're leasing cars, uh, blah, and you're, you know, your finances are awful because that's what most people are. And that's just not 30-year-olds. It's 40-year-olds and 50-year-olds because I talk to them all the time. Yeah. You've got to have a plan. And to your point, and you hit it right on the head, the sooner you make that plan and the sooner you set those goals, the sooner you get to it. And then, man, by the time you get to my age, look, I should be almost retired by now, and I'm 45. And I know that sounds crazy and braggadocious, but I got news for you, and you know this, I'm not retired, and I'm probably gonna work till I'm 65, and that's totally my fault. Because even when, uh, you know, I jokingly blame my education, like, oh, they didn't teach me any of this stuff. I knew, like I knew in the back of my mind when I was like spending my last dollar down at Joe Cool's or whatever, right? My brain was like, idiot, like there's gotta be a better plan. Like if you don't know what the answer is, like go find out, and I didn't do it. So my fault, right? But you guys, if you, if you set that plan, do the education, listen to the podcast, read a few books, talk to your friends and get at it. That's, that's the key. Honestly, that's the key. When you, you know, you said that your, your come to Jesus moment was when you're like, okay, I'm about to start a family. Like this is yeah. like really real. Yep. Um, you know, how somebody even get that spark? Like, do you need that spark? Like to, to get it going? Do you need to have that moment? Um, you know, it seems like something and I, you know, it's kind of, this is kind of existential, but um, do you need that sort of like moment where you're like, okay, I got to figure this out or can it just be something that it just gradually happens? Or do you, like you said, you said intentionality. So kind of, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, that's such a huge question. So, um, you know, I got to think about how honest I want to be here because, uh, you know, the truth hurts sometimes. Right. So, so, so here's what I think. I think right now, um, there's a lot of discussion going on in the media about, um, the insane wealth divide, right? And and it's it's real, and it's a problem from a social standpoint. Like you can see, it's starting to have some big time negative social connotations, right? Mm-hmm. And and it needs to be addressed. I don't know how to do it. Uh, you know, that's way above my pay grade, but it's serious. But here's what I know. I truly believe if you took all the money, say in Canada, and you put it in a huge pile and you spread it amongst everybody 21 years or older and sit here, everybody gets an equal share. 40 years from now, the same people who are rich today are the same people who are gonna be rich 40 years from now. And the same people that are terrible with money are still gonna be terrible with money. And that wealth divide is gonna recreate itself. And I say that because for whatever reason, some people are just naturally gifted, they're talented, they're energetic. You know, they're like a guy like you. You're like, no barriers. Watch this. I want to start a podcast. Boom. You did it. And look at the guests you've had on and the things you're doing. Right. Whereas other people might think, ah, maybe I'd start a podcast someday and never will. Right. So there's a difference in people and, you know, guys like you, you're, you're keyed in, you're 
interested, you're intelligent, and you're just going to get after it. And nothing is going to stop you. You might have hit some bumps along the way, right? But nothing's going to stop you. So you don't need to come to Jesus moment because like you're here, right? How old are you now? 23. Right? It took me until I was 35. And the only reason I did it was I don't want this amazing woman to like leave me, right? Like, <laughs> look at the difference. I, um, man, I really appreciate that. No, it's so true. Um, and, and this is the part that I'm a little hesitant to say, but I'm going to say I get to teach um, between 250 and 300 students this stuff every year. And I do my best and I hope some of it sinks in. But I know even the students that are so inclined to sign up for the course and listen to me blither on for 13 weeks and take the exams, which are hard and all that kind of stuff, 10 years from now, there's only a small percentage of them that are actually going to have done it. And, you know, sometimes I get emails from students years down the road and they email and said, hey, I was in your class once and uh, I'm finally thinking of investing and I'm thinking, great, like, that's awesome. I'm so excited. And then they're like, but I don't really remember what you said. What should I do? Like buy all bonds in my portfolio? And I'm thinking, whose class were you sitting in? Like, yeah, no, yeah. like, no, right? Um, so I think, you know, there's just a certain portion of the people that that are just going to do it. Like they're just going to do it. They're interested, they're intrigued. Mm-hmm. And whether it's rental property, starting a business, like you've had two guests on recently that have crushed it, right? In the business, like just crushed it. You're unique, special people, right? They are unique, special people and deserve every single success that they've gotten, right? Like you've got to applaud them. Um, but for everybody else, and, you know, I try to, you can tell me if you think I did this, but in my course, I really try to make it basic enough that anybody, like you could just pull a random person off the street, come in, here are just the basics. And if you just do the basics, even if you don't want to do them, like things like budgeting just makes you want to rip your hair. I know it's not fun. It is for me, but I'm an accountant. I like it, right? But I get it. But if you just do the basics, life's going to be awesome, right? So some people, um, you know, are going to have to force themselves and other people are just going to get up every day and it's like exciting, right? You see some guys who like, or, and girls, I say guys, generically people, you see some that's people, okay. yeah, yeah, that's okay. um, you know, they're just fit, right? Like they're doing CrossFit and they're running marathons and they're like going to the gym and you're just like, wow. And then there's people like me that I'm like, okay, idiot, go to the gym. Right. And I know that I should go get in the car and go to the gym. Right. Even if I don't want to, because it's good for you. And I think when it comes to personal finance, people fall into those camps. There's some that are just going to do it and others that just need to take a little bit of time and, and, and do the things they need to do. But the thing is, it's not hard. Like my buddy, Jeff, the guy that set me down this path, it's got his millions of dollars. You know how much time a year he spends investing? 30 minutes. He does it on the first business day in January and then looks at it again the following January. It doesn't have to be complicated. It really doesn't. No, no yeah. doubt. And I I talk about it in the show a lot. You know, it, it seems like, you know, obviously you need to, you know, educate yourself, learn about the fundamentals, et cetera. But like you said, like everybody pretty much knows what they need and what they want. And, and you have, and it doesn't matter if it's the gym, if it's money, if it's your relationship, yep. if it's a, a to-do list, like short, you like, you know, procrastination, you like, you know what you got to do, but emotionally and rationally, like they don't get along sometimes. <laughs> and, that's right. Um, you know, the, that part, those parts of your mind kind of battle. And so I, that's where I sympathize with people. I'm like, I get it. You know, there's different, we're, we're, we're emotional beasts, you know, in, in nature. And so it, it, but that's the crux of it. Like the, you do know like what, what's good and you do know that like, this is something, so you, you just got to get it going. Um, you know, you touched on investment philosophy, uh, for a second there and, and kind of, you know, uh, people, former students will come and, and kind of say, Hey, like, what, what, what should I do? I mean, what, what would you say you're, um, you don't have to give like a specific fund or anything, but what's your sort of, um, investment philosophy for young adults? Um, you know, should they have a, uh, all equities? Should they have some bonds in there? Should they have crypto? Like what, what, what's, uh, what's their general uh, philosophy there? That's awesome. You're trolling me with the crypto thing, right? I am. Uh, yep. <laughs> so I, I just want to preface this by saying, you know, I'm not a licensed advisor. I'm just giving you my opinion. And it's just my opinion. And everybody should go do their own research, get their own advice. So you can take this or leave it for what it's worth. Um, I want people to make their own decisions. Um, so, you know, I, I personally use and teach in class a basic passive index investing philosophy. I sure as heck didn't invest it. Everybody's talking about it now. More and more people are doing it every single day. 
super easy and it doesn't have to be complicated. Again, uh, not to sound like a broken record, my buddy Jeff, with literally millions of dollars invested, uses four ETFs, that's it. Um, and it's simple, man, it doesn't have to be complicated. And he's doing great. He's got a 10% annualized return since the day he started investing. It's, it's you know, it's fantastic. Um, so I, you know, that's my approach, um, whether you're young or, or old. As far as the 100% um, equities thing, I'm a huge fan of that. I think you lobbed that softball over the plate for me. I appreciate it. Um, I don't have any bonds in my portfolio and don't intend to until I retire. And my philosophy now is um, moving from 100% equities to an 80-20 portfolio, I think. And if I imagine, let's just say I'm going to retire at age 65, I'll move... Um, you know, about 4% into bonds at age 60, another four at age 61, and then it'll build up to 80, 20. And I think that's a portfolio I'm going to maintain uh, throughout my whole life. And, you know, I mean, bonds, bonds, <laughs> you know, their role right now is, is to smooth out the roller coaster of the stock market. Uh, in the long run, they don't really give great returns. So, you know, I, I have a hard time finding the compelling reason to use them because we've all got time. I still have time and you've got all the time in the world. So, um, times like this year, you know, when the stock market was just rocking and rolling, every time it goes way, way down, I always think, God, I wish I had more money because I just can't wait to invest more, right? I never lose sleep over it. I've never once stayed awake at night going, oh, the stock market's down 35%. All I think is, how can I get some more money and invest? Because this is awesome. So, you know, bonds don't serve any purpose for me personally. You know, I was listening to... Um... I believe his name is Bernan Macchio. He wrote the um, A Random Walk Down Wall Street. Have you ever read that book? Yeah, he was on. Uh, he did a podcast recently on Animal Spirits. I don't yeah, know if you heard that's it. the one I listened to. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And um, what really caught my eye, and I, I chatted uh, with a few people about this, was when he talked about bonds and the role in the portfolio. And he said, "Hey, listen, we got to rethink the whole thing." And he suggested maybe. Um, you know, equities like single blue chip equities with, with high dividend yields. Um, right. and, and, you know, I'm kind of getting a little bit high level here, but I, I just wanted to, I honestly, if it's on here, if it's off, subscribe, I kind of wanted to pick your brain on that. Uh, what did you, what did you think of that? Like in terms of, um, that sort of approach, because it's, I mean, it'd be very unique from the, the, the traditional advice. Yeah. And it's good to hear because the traditional advice is, um, you know, it's old fashioned and it was, it was probably pretty good advice uh, when people used to say things like, you know, this percentage of bonds in your portfolio and whatever, because, you know, there was a time where bonds actually uh, did reasonably well. I mean, interest rates were going down, bonds were going up, um, you know, uh, they, you know, they still didn't do as well as equities, but they're doing pretty darn good. But those times are over. Like we're in a practically 0% interest rate world these days. There's Crazy. Excuse me, trillions of dollars around the world right now that give negative interest rates. I mean, what do you want these things for, right? I just, I don't get it. So it's cool to see a guy like that, especially a guy like that, right? Because, I mean, he's a legend and, um, you know, he's a bit older. So it's it's cool to see him evolving and changing his advice. So I thought it was fantastic. I think I really liked, you know, I, I got to tell you, when I heard that in the interview, I thought, wow, that's maybe even more aggressive than I think. Like, I thought that was yeah, pretty, pretty outrageous, right? Yeah. Um, the only, you know, and I, I hate to say anything because who the heck am I to say anything about what that guy said, right? Like I'm, I'm nobody in comparison to that guy. But <laughs> the only thing that we need to remember is the concept of a blue chip company is ever changing because we could go back 20 years and I could tell you what the blue chip companies were and you've never heard of them because they don't exist anymore. So, you know, companies are blue chip and maybe they're not always, you know, like, I mean, Coke's still here. I would say if you asked me to pick a blue chip and you held a gun to my head, I think I'd say Coke because I kind of assume they're going to be around for decades and decades. Uh, but who knows? Maybe the whole world changes and we hate sugar so much, Coke implodes. I don't know. But there's companies that used to be blue chip, which are either gone or are terrible. Um, so that's that's the only thing. Like if you're going to pick those, you still got to watch them, think, and, and maybe adjust because, you know, companies may not always sort of hang out in that blue chip realm. So. Yeah, that's just something I was thinking about. I mean, not really actioning on, but I was kind of like, wow, that's really interesting. Um, so, you know, with this recent event, I mean, we've, we've touched on it quite a bit, um, you know, COVID, you know, what do you think that's taught or should have taught most people about money? I mean, the first thing I think of is, 
okay, you should probably have an emergency fund. Um, so maybe maybe that and maybe uh, share anything else that you really think that maybe you learned about it or that uh, some teachings that we can take away. from. Yeah. What do you think? I've been doing all the talking. I feel bad. I'm like monopolized. What do you tell I mean, me? I think you, you, no, no, I, but I'll, I'll, I'll say, listen, I, um, I really think the biggest thing is what I learned. The, okay. The biggest thing for me was I internally was like, okay, if the market goes 40%, 50% down, I'm fine. I'm going to be okay. You don't know shit until it actually tanks Yeah, yeah. and it tanked. And I, like you said, like I didn't care. I literally didn't care. I, and all I could think about was I need to get more money in here. And that's, that's what I did. I was like, I was, I was like throwing money in there and I didn't have a care in the world. Cause I just fundamentally like believed and knew that like my portfolio was diversified long-term kind of thing. And so that like, I, I guess, you know, not to you know, patting myself on the back, but like, I was really proud of that because, you know, you never know if who knows, like I could have, it could have dropped like that. I could have panicked. And, you know, a, a lot of people did, unfortunately. Yep. Um, I, I saw some statistics that this was better. More, a lot of people were more, um, actually, actually I don't know. It, it depends what you, who you're looking at. Cause I looked at a study Vanguard's clients yep. like held through it pretty much yep. the large yep. mass majority of them. Um, but like, I mean, I can't really speak for the general population. Regardless, I was kind of like, wow, I, so I do have the stomach for this thing long-term. That was great. Also, I realized that like, like you said, it's a house of cards. And and when this thing happened, I mean, I, I, I was 11 years old when, uh, 08 happened, had no idea, like yeah. literally didn't hear about it until like I was in my senior year of high school that it even was a thing. Like I literally didn't know. I heard like a recession. We're in a recession, Obama a recession. I don't know what the hell that means. Um, <laughs> so this was the, so, the, so this was the first time that, you know, my age group um, kind of went through this and, and kind of just saw people losing their jobs, things yep. getting really tough, businesses going under GNC. Like you just walk by, you'll see they're, yep. they're completely bankrupt, like big names yep. going down. And, and I, and I realized, wow, like, Another thing, like, you know, there's, there's more to, there's more to like, mu like things aren't always what they seem again, a cliche, but like, you know, you really see that how it's not only people, it's businesses, it's big corporate businesses. It's everybody, every entity, there's good ones and there's really bad ones. And, and it all comes down to how they're managing their finances. I, I guess GNC was way too leveraged. They were yep. way too over their skis. They weren't innovating enough. They weren't going online enough and they got eaten up. And I guess that just applies to pretty much everybody. You know what I mean? And at the end of the day, they, they I, I hate to rag on GNC right now, but they're just an example. You could talk about like, I don't know, JC Penny. I don't know. Well, they were going down anyway. You, you get my point. Yeah. At the end of the day, it, it, it's on them, right? And at the end of the day, it's on you to, to put yourself in as good of a position as you can um, so that when those tough times come, you can weather it and, and keep moving through it. So that, that's what I think, kind of long-winded, but. <laughs> no, man, you, you nailed it, uh, 100%. So first, I want to say kudos to you for not freaking out when the stock market went down. You seriously have made me the happiest guy in the world right now to hear that. I know it didn't have anything to do with me. I talked about it in class. But you, it did, like, though. It did. The fact that you got that at the age of 23 is insane. Like, you win. You win. That's it. You win investing. Because the studies show repeatedly that the people that can just leave the money in win, period. Right? Because everybody that's jumping in, jumping out all the time, like, uh, they're the people that say, oh, investing is gambling. It's like, you know, a casino. No, it isn't. Like, you just got to just ride it out, man. So I'm so happy for you. Good for you. That's awesome. Um, but I, I think you nailed it. Um, what we can learn from this is emergency funds are so absolutely insanely important. And the problem is when times are good, they're like the most boring thing in the world to talk about, right? <laughs> yeah. The most I've had students and I get the question, man, I get it. And some days I think the same thing. They're like, let me get this straight. You want me to put tens of thousands of dollars into a high interest savings account that after inflation and taxes is losing money every year. Yes. I do want you to do that because at times like this, uh, you know, if, if you lose your job or your partner loses their job or you have a bunch of freaking rental properties and your tenants lose your job, you need the cash 
right? It gives you security. Now you've got to be, you know, realistic. You can't have an insane amount of cash sitting there doing nothing, right? There's got to be a balance, but you're hundred percent, hundred percent. It's it's so true. And you know, for these businesses, things like GNC, you know, like was there a mall in North America that you could walk into that didn't have a GNC in it? Right. No. I think your example is fantastic. And I also, by the way, like your expression over their skis. I'm going to steal that, by the way. That was awesome. I like that. I like that image. Um, but they're like the corporate example of two stretched no emergency fund, right? And unfortunately, uh, a lot of people, most people, um, sadly, it's true, live that way. Paycheck to paycheck, too much debt, you know, uh, no safety net. And, uh, you know, in Canada, I think um, we're a little bit luckier. Our government, uh, love them or hate them, you know, seems to have responded pretty well to this. And they're really trying to help um, not have this be a financial catastrophe, which, you know, I'm not a Trudeau fan, but got to applaud him for at least they're trying. I don't know how we're going to ever recover from all this money they're spending. That's another conversation. But in the States, man, what did they send? Like one $1,200 check to everybody and that's it? It's like, yeah. you know how many people down there are broke? Like broke. So uh, um, things, emergency funds, man, they matter. Because I'm telling you, sure as you're sitting here and if people don't believe this go ask your parents and your grandparents it's not a matter of if something crazy is going to come along in life it's just a matter of when yeah. somebody's going to lose their job something's going to happen a kid's going to get sick you got to stop working like something is going to happen and to have that to steal a line from dave ramsey big pile of cash to just land in as a safety net is, is awesome I, I know you got to get going soon i'll just ask you uh, one last question here and and you did touch on it a tad bit what's one thing that's just going to make somebody successful in life versus not like I, I always ask uh, every guest, uh, what's the one thing they think is really um, the thing that sets apart uh, a young adult, old adult, yeah. anybody really. Yeah. So I hate to be repetitive, but I'm going to say it, uh, goal set. Um, that's it. I, and I don't care if we're talking investing goals, rental property goals, starting a business goals, relationship goals, like you said, fitness and health goals. If you don't have them, uh, you know, you'll be like so many people I've talked to that are in their fifties and one day they just wake up in a cold sweat because it dawns on them that, oh my God, there's not much time left. And I, you know, I don't have any freaking money. And well, you know, it's, it's great that you called now. It would have been awesome if you called when you're Nathan and you're 23 and like, let's get at it. Right. So I just, I cannot stress how important that is. I, you know, I remember when I was younger there and I was buying the rental properties and stuff. Um, I talked to other people who were starting businesses and rental properties and stuff. And it's hard to know if these stories are true or if they're just made up because they sound good. But allegedly um, down in the States somewhere a long time ago, they did a study of um, really successful people. They just went up to them and they, they asked them pretty much the question you just asked and said, like, what's like, if you had to boil it down to one thing, right? That was the reason for your success. What would it be? And allegedly the number one answer was goal setting. And apparently so many of them, now this, you got to remember, this is pre-computers, pre-phones in your pocket, right? So this is like pen and paper days. Could pull out the piece of paper out of their wallet or their purse or whatever, their desk drawer that they wrote on when they were 21 that they folded so many times it's almost falling apart and said, by the age of 30, I want to be a millionaire. Mm -hmm. and, and they were wildly successful because like they set a goal and they said, okay, if this is how I want to get there, how am I going to achieve it? And, you know, um, it, it sounds like pretty darn good advice to me. One of the, I'm sure you remember from class, my quotes, I always have like a million quotes, yeah. but one of my favorite ones of all time is, um, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Yeah. Right. And then, then you're 50 and broke and going, Oh my God, what am I going to do? Um, yeah. So I can't stress that enough. And you know, whenever it is, you know, if you get married or just whatever, decide you're going to be with somebody, whether you get married or not, you sort of hit that phase of life. One of the coolest things you can possibly do is sit down with that person and dream. You know, dream is a much sexier word than goal setting, but sit down and be like, where do we want to be? What do we want to do? Right. So for my wife, for example, um, like I said, she's fantastic, better than me in every way. And one of the, from a financial standpoint, we have never had a conflict once, which I count my lucky stars because money problems is the number one cause of divorce, which is ridiculous. Right. But anyway, it's true. And we've never had a money conflict. And one of the, things about her in that vein that I feel so fortunate is she's a natural born saver, right? She can save money like you've never seen. I'm a natural born spender. I have to rein myself in. Like I have to 
you know, make sure I'm putting money away every month into investments and stuff, which I really enjoy doing, but my natural inclination is to spend like crazy. But one of the things for her, even though she really wants to save money all the time is she's really adamant that we put money aside to take the kids on amazing vacations or experiences or whatever. Right. So, um, that's one of her goals. We sit down and they say to her, look, we're putting this much weight in investments. This is our projection. This is what retirement's going to look like. These are our goals for like a new car. She wants some, some time in the future and all this sort of stuff. And she always says, well, what about the vacation? How are we doing on the vacation thing? Right. Cause it's so important. So we put that money aside and it's huge because if we didn't do that and my daughter doesn't get to go to Disneyland when she's five, my wife is going to be pissed at me for like years. Right. And, and she's right because being able to go and take my daughter to Disneyland when she's five is like amazing. Um, I don't, just wait and see how much it costs to take somebody to Disney. Nathan, if you're ever kids, just going to say that. But uh, being able to do that stuff is important. So when you sit down with your partner or spouse and you set those goals, like we we talk about all the places we're going to travel. We talk about how much money we're going to need to do that when we retire. And, you know, we've got some, I think, pretty aggressive goals for where we need our retirement accounts to be. Um, but it's important to us because that's where we want to be. But, you know, if we didn't have those conversations and we didn't have a shared vision for where we want to be you know what we'd be doing we'd be driving leased bmws and like blowing money like crazy and you know spending our money and god knows what and then when we got to retirement none of these things that are super important to us would actually happen right or we wouldn't be going to disneyland in a couple of years so yeah so goal setting sorry you talk about long-winded man i'm all over the place today but goal setting is so important and listen when you're young uh you know if you don't have a spouse or partner to do that with Grab your like best friend and just say let's dream, right? And birds of a feather flock together. I'm sure you've got a lot of people in your social circle that think like you, act like you, talk like you, and walk the walk like you, right? And you guys can sit there and spur each other on to greater heights. So Yeah, absolutely. I got you know what? I, I'm very lucky to have some amazing friends and um you know, we, we literally have like a, a a weekly call like where we'll just like just chat and get like obviously, you know, we just, you know, talk shit, whatever, but um, you know, we'll talk a lot about the market and, uh, you know, what moves are making and, and, um, it's, it's awesome. And I think that just, I liked what you said, just grabbing somebody that you're close to, if it's your girlfriend or boyfriend or friend or mom, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And just being like, man, like I really like just dream for a second. And, yeah. um, you know, obviously follow that with intentionality, action, et cetera. So, uh, Barry, that's, pretty much all I have for you today. Uh, I, I just want to say thank you so, so much. Uh, you really are somebody I look up to a lot and, and always have, and, and I've learned, like, I can't thank you enough. And so I, I feel very honored to have you on and thank you so much for the kind words you've said. I had a great time chatting with you. My pleasure. But look, I'm not going to let you go yet because I've got a question for you. And first, I want to say uh, two things. In the olden days, that group call you're on, if you want a fancy word, you want to sound like a, like a, I don't know, sort of a smart ass. They used to call those mastermind meetings, right? Yeah. So you're getting yeah, we together. Call them we call oh, them yeah? Oh, good for yeah, you. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, See, yeah. You, were too, you were too humble to say it, but good for you. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I appreciate your kind words, but listen, the only thing we can do in university as teachers is just set the foundation. You guys got to build on it and you're building on it. And seeing you do that is so exciting to me because it's like, Oh my God, something I taught is actually sinking in and somebody's taking it and running with it, right? So um, my contribution to any success you have is like one out of 10. You're doing the other nine. It's all you, man. You're, you're putting in all the effort and you're doing all the work. That's the hard part. I had the easy part. You're out of school. You graduated. You're, you know, adulting. I don't know if you guys still say that, but apparently, right? Ish. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think is the most important thing that somebody your age uh, group should be doing right now from a financial standpoint or a life standpoint? I'd say the number, the number one thing I think just kind of like, like you said, like just kind of think, just kind of, just kind of wonder like, where am I trying to go? And, and, and know that you don't have to have an answer, know that you don't have to know or have a blueprint or know that like, you're going to, you, you have to know that you're not going to know. That's, I think that's the one thing that I'd say you, you got to know that you're not going to know, but you still got to like try to have some sort of vision and, and plan for the future. And um, I guess coming from a really deep place for me, I, I kind of have always wanted to, to like, you know, I want to be rich someday. I want to do all this stuff, but I, I, 
I only like in the past like year or so or two really got to like the the foundation of what that was and and, and what that was honestly was you know to to take care of my family beyond beyond like I could I like my dream one day I I mean it's not I don't know I guess you could call it a dream is for some ridiculous absurd ludicrous bill to come through and I don't even think about it like I'm just like like no problem I'm good for it you know what I yep. mean like that that yep. is the moment that I've been thinking about since I was like a kid like like a young young like kid is like wow I hope one day something comes up that's just like in like I obviously I don't hope that <laughs> you know what I mean? but if that were to come up that I've done enough in my life to be like no problem I don't have to stress I don't have to worry maybe that's because we didn't have much growing up it comes from worrying about yep. that at a young yep. age whatever the psychological reasoning is that's that's just who I am and so yep. when I realized that and that that was the like everything kind of just fell into place it was like okay like this is this is the the, the north star so to speak like how do I want to build my life in a way where I'm financially independent financially free and yep. and, and, and I can get there and it took it took me like I mean I started thinking about this stuff like you know 17 18 I'm 23 it's not really that long but you know five years of just kind of like well why am I trying to do all this all this stuff and it was like it was like that's why and that could have came to me when I was 30 or 40 or 50 I'm lucky enough to that 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 came to me now for for a lot of people just I think you can massage that out if you if you start surrounding yourself with the the right people and the right content and you're just thinking about it more eventually you're going to have that realization like god like I want to be able to go on a trip I want to travel the world I want that'll come to you if you if you're intentional you think about this stuff frequently that sort of come to Jesus moment will will hit you yeah. uh, in in my opinion I can't speak for every person on the planet but I I really do think that like it's just a function of thinking about it very frequently and I, I was lucky enough to realize okay like that's this is what i want i want to be able to not worry about money ever again yeah totally and like i'm with you i think we have the exact same reason right like you want that security um if you think of a pyramid you know like security is on the it's the base it's it's like the foundation it's got to be there um and i love your example of a bill comes in and you're like well this is unfortunate but you just write a check right like yeah when you get to that level of security things in life stop becoming a crisis, right? Like not everything's a crisis. It's annoying, you're like, oh, whatever. But it's so cool to be able to just go, well, I'm in a place, I'll pay for this, and now I'll go play with my kids. And and you don't think about it again, right? It's amazing. Yeah. And then the next layer of the pyramid, and you hit it, I think is freedom. Man, when you hit that, um, uh, we're near the end here, so I'll be a little bold. There's uh, Somebody I used to watch on TV all the time, Gail Vaz Oxley, she had this show helping people with money. She's a funny person. Um, on Twitter, she she calls it FU money, right? Mm -hmm. She's like, I got FU money. And if, you know, she was doing this one TV show that she didn't like, she didn't like the way the producers were like, you know, trying to make her be mean to the people she was trying to help. She's like, FU, and she just walked away from it. She's like, hey, you know, I got FU money. So uh, that's freedom, right? Like you can do what you want in life. And then... And I talked about this in class, and this might be hard for a lot of people to to picture. Um, but you know, if you just put a little faith in in me, uh, and just think about this throughout your life, and for you too, at some point, you get you get the security, then you get the freedom, and and then you get to the top of the pyramid, and it's generosity. And I'm telling you, there's no new fancy sports car or vacation in the world that can replace the feeling you get for helping people that are in pain and in need. Because my God, there's enough people around this world that are. And when you have enough money that you're like totally set and you're living that good life and you're going on trips, but then you can help, holy geez, man. It's like the best thing you could possibly do with money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I always say in class, like our goal should all be to be like rich. And I mean rich, but it's not for the freaking cars and the houses and the clothes and the vacations. It's for the help you can give. Because the only people in the world that can help those that are suffering are people that have. And if you don't have, you can't help, right? I mean, you can help in other ways. I, I know, right? But I mean, there's a lot of people out there that just need, and it, you know. So anyway, not to end on a soapbox, but there you go. Oh, and I got one more. I'm so annoying. I'm so annoying. You were talking about God, and I love your insight, man. You're like so wise for for being 23. You said you got to set a goal, and it's okay not to know how to get there. 
oh man, that's the best advice ever. Right? That's the best advice ever because of course you don't know, right? But you'll figure it out. And the silly analogy I used to hear when I was young was, um, imagine somebody put $10 million in a briefcase on the top of Mount Everest, right? And, and they tell you it's there and you can have it, you can go get it. You don't know how to climb the bloody mountain. You don't know what it takes. But guess what? Yeah. Like, I bet you figured out if you could go get the briefcase. Right? <laughs> so, um, everybody's just got to believe that it's there if, they, if they're willing to do what it takes. So thanks so much. I really had a good time. Yeah, no, Barry, I'll have to have you back on. Like, I, I mean, I feel like I think four separate times I was I could have just went off on a tangent and asked you, like, uh, I don't know, talk politics, talk a high level finance. Like, we could, you know what I mean? That's I might do a, 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 seri- a Barry series. You know what I mean? Well, we, might, we might get that going. Let, let's see what the reviews are on this before you make any promises. So. <laughs> okay. I'm sure they'll be great, man. But uh, thank you so much. Uh, I know we're a little over time here. Um, but thank you for staying and, and sharing your insight. I really appreciate it, man. My pleasure. Talk to you soon. So there you have it. That was my conversation with Barry Hahn. Learned so much about his past with real estate and his money struggles and money successes and all that kind of stuff. And I'm glad to, in fact, I'm honored to have brought him on the show. Thank you guys for listening all the way through the end. If you're listening to my voice right now, um, that it means a lot. It means a lot. Every single time I, I do a show, I want to let you guys know that I really, really appreciate um, you guys listening this long i mean you know we're past an hour right now and you guys are still dialed in so if that's the case thank you so so much i'm not doing a new money mailbag this episode because we are a little bit over time but i do want to do one this coming week so i'm releasing an episode about midweek and then i'll answer a few questions then so yes thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate it thank you barry again for coming on great great time uh, just chatting with you man yeah that is it for me this week guys so thank you so much again and i will see you in the next one i am out this mother peace